welcome to the Onyx Pathcast. My name is Matthew Dawkins, and I am accompanied by Eddie Webb. Hello, Dixie Cochran. I'm not near you. I'm not accompanying you. Well, in cyberspace, if you like. <laughs> if, you want, wow. if you want to get late 90s about it. <laughs> I was going to say, the information highway. Yeah. You're... The information superhighway. Oh, my apologies. I didn't yeah. give it as correct declarative. Currently with me on the net are Eddie Webb. <laughs> pew, 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 pew. Remember to visit us on http colon slash slash www.theonyxpath.com. Anyway. <laughs> How are you two today? Oh, good. you weren't expecting such kindness from me. Yeah, <laughs> I don't know what to say right now. I, I, I'm, I'm okay. Hanging out. Working. I got my Nintendo Switch. I'm happy. Mm. Yeah, so what games are you going to be playing on the Switch then, Eddie? Uh, right now, I am deep into my uh, Fire Emblem Three Houses play. Um, I'm playing Black Eagles, for those that care about these things. I just um, finished my second playthrough last night. Sweet. Yeah, you did the alternate. No, Blue Lions. I did You're... Alt Black Eagles first, and then okay. I did Blue Lions as of yesterday. Sweet. I finished it. But now Ooh. I'm going to take a break to be a horrible goose and also I've play Night of, in the Woods. I've heard about the Untitled Goose Game. Untitled Goose Game looks delightful. <laughs> um, <laughs> have you seen this, Matthew? Yes, I have. Uh, well, I've heard of it and I saw a few screen captures. I've not actually seen it in action. Yeah. For all of our listeners that don't know, there's a game on Switch and PC called Untitled Goose Game. And the tagline is like, it's a beautiful day in the neighborhood, and you are a horrible goose. <laughs> and you just play a goose that is harassing human beings, or like preventing <laughs> them from doing something fun. Like one of the things in the in the preview video shows like a kid who wants his soccer ball, and you can just like push it away from him. Um, so <laughs> well, essentially, it's a game fine. about just being annoying. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it, it appeals to me on a level I never even knew existed. <laughs> you know it. it it, it, for years, I have, I have friends that have, like, Goat Simulator and all those kind of weird, like, games that aren't maybe games, but are kind of just surreal and fun. Mm-hmm. And I've I've never really wanted one of them, but I saw this one, and I was like, well, there's at least, like, a gameplay element to it. And that you're yeah, trying to bother people. <laughs> <laughs> um, and also, one of our friends gifted me with uh, Night in the Woods, which I've heard is a, is a fun autumn kind of game so since autumn just happened i'm gonna play that and then probably three houses again yeah i've heard really good things about night in the woods same same well what are you playing what am i playing what am i playing uh i am playing a lot of mario based games right now and it does seem to be durager these days to uh to poo poo the the mario franchise much like other i guess signature console characters because i heard odyssey was really good well yeah yeah uh, odyssey is fantastic it's got some of the best level design and puzzles i have found in a platformer uh, really? It's uh, gra- graphically, I would say it's much the same as you were probably finding on the Wii U, but just from sheer playability, I'm finding myself going back to it again and again. My son loves it. Uh, he will play it for a little while, but most of the time he will just then hand me the controllers and tell me where to find various moon fragments and uh, to go into this green pipe or that green pipe. But yeah, 
he's always a bit he got very scared of king bowser uh recently <laughs> uh he he really just got into it king bowser was throwing his hat at me as you do in mario odyssey <laughs> right. and edwin was really sort of up against me very very um scared said, oh throw it throw it throw it and um then when I uh, when I beat him, of course, Bowser, not Edwin. Edwin was. Um, <laughs> I'm not an angry goose. That's, that's a good clarification. Yeah, uh, yeah. The the relief was palpable. Uh, yeah. So that Mario Kart, Octopath Traveler. There's a whole bunch. Uh, I'm only a recent Switch owner, but I've been out of console gaming for quite some time, despite having a. Uh, playstation 3 and playstation 4 i just don't really get to play on them but for whatever reason the switch has hit the right buttons for me yeah and yeah i've been torn on whether so i've got a 50 dollars gift card for the, for the nintendo shop and mm. i've been torn on whether i want mario odyssey mario kart so i can play with you matthew and also with my boyfriend and everything or breath of the wild because i've never really been a zelda fan my my boyfriend is so I'm like, mm-hmm. maybe it's like, I keep hearing like, oh, it's the best Zelda game ever. And I'm like, okay, but I haven't played the other ones. I tried to play like one on the DS once and it was, I was confused. So I, I, as, as much as I think you should buy a Mario Kart because my Mario Kart cart is, that was redundant. My Mario Kart game is on the way to <laughs> me soon. So we could all play online if you got Mario Kart. Oh my God. Can we do a live stream with all three of us playing Mario Kart against each other? Yes. <laughs> Let's just make that happen. That sounds really fun. But that being said, um, uh, 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 my roommate David is a huge Zelda fan. Like he's getting Zelda tattoos. He's really into yeah, it. yeah. I saw that. Um, and he told me that uh, Breath of the Wild is very Skyrimy. See, I keep hearing that too, and I'm like, well, that's fine. Like if it's right. like Skyrim, um, mm-hmm. it's just. I guess what I need to research is: is it an okay entry point for Zelda games? Because. In so, my house growing up, we were a Mario and Donkey Kong household. We were never a Zelda or Final Fantasy household. Mm, so I didn't so, get into those until I was an adult. So I do. I haven't played it much. I do have Breath of the Wild on my Switch, but it, for me, seems uh, a pretty simple game to access. Uh, certainly there's no heavy storyline or anything like that that you need to have grasped beforehand. Uh, all the Zelda games are pretty much independent of each other and yeah. not to be too critical of Zelda because obviously it is a very popular franchise. Um, the plots usually revolve around the world is about to be destroyed, collect these items to stop it, or the princess has been kidnapped, collect these items to stop Ganon, uh, the bad My guy. My God, Matthew, why are you so critical of Zelda games? I know, I know. <laughs> That's us losing our Nintendo sponsorship to continue that through life. <laughs> <laughs> friend, I mean, it's such a plug for him too. But, friend of the cast, Sean works at Nintendo. Like we could have been true. like on our way to try to get some cool swag, but here you are. Well, friend of the cast, Sean, uh, <laughs> if that is your name, have a word with the legal department. Let's get in touch. Let's start licensing the Legend of Zelda to make the tabletop RPG set in Hyrule. Make it so. <laughs> In the, you know the best part of this entire conversation is it has nothing to do with our topic today. No, no. Our topic today is, well, this is an interview. <laughs> Easy for me to say. <laughs> After you, Eddie. Uh-huh. Okay. Well, thank you for throwing back to me there, Mr. <laughs> Webb. <laughs> I, I, I didn't know what was happening. I just, just heard 
muttering and then my name. I was very confused. <laughs> uh, I, I could edit that out, but I'm not going to because people like it raw, uh, as Gordon Ramsay would say. Or wouldn't say. <laughs> Today we are interviewing, and by we, I use the royal we. Uh, I am interviewing the fine folks of Red Moon Roleplaying. Now, that may be a surprise to some listeners, well, those of you who haven't actually checked the title out of this episode, because it should be fairly obvious. But if you didn't check the title out and you just have this on some weird autoplay thing, it may seem quite weird to you. But Red Moon Roleplaying are an any award-winning uh, role-playing game, actual play podcast. I'm sure there's a shorter way of saying that. No, and... you got to say the whole thing every time you talk to them. I will, I will. And they have uh, they have fantastic editing skills. They really hone the production values of an actual play to make them listenable. And that, that may sound rather simplistic, but it isn't. Some people really struggle to listen to people playing role-playing games, but Redmond Role-Playing manufacture them in such a way after they've been produced. Uh that they're more like audio dramas than anything else. And I've had the pleasure of running a few games for them now. So, yeah, I will be going off to interview some of the guys from the podcast. Bye. Oh, I'll do it now then, shall I? All right, okay, I've got my bags back. <laughs> I'll see you later. I see the bus Bye. is waiting outside. No, no, don't go, go. don't go. <laughs> <laughs> and we're back, which is an odd thing to say for my guests, because they had never been here before. Uh, Just to clue everyone in who's listening, we record intros and outros to these things separately, and so we always say things like, and we're back, or and we're here, despite the fact uh, that the people we're with now have no frame of reference. So now they do have a frame of reference, and following that awkward segue, I'd like to introduce the audience to the fine fellows of Red Moon Roleplaying. Hello, Hello, guys. Hey. Well, what? <laughs> it's it's great to be here. I mean, I've, I've been listening to uh, to this show for quite a while now, so it's it's an honor to be here, Matthew. Thank you for inviting us on. Oh, that's quite all right. You'll know then uh, that this show tends to be fairly ramshackle, amateurish, uh, <laughs> uh, but but it's got a lot of heart. It's got a lot of heart. I think. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> That's certainly what does and, the vampires. and you always go into every episode like this is going to be the one where you get everything right and then just falls to pieces after like 10 seconds usually yeah, around I'm... the time when you start speaking for some reason i'm not exactly sure how that's connected with things but it seems to be some yeah. kind of coincidence well i'm glad we've got that reputation and uh, you know uh, i am the agent of chaos it seems on the podcast i don't know who that who would be law and who would be balance there what what do you think I mean, definitely chaos. Uh, that that's you. Uh, ooh, uh, I don't know. I think uh, Eddie's always pretty much on on uh, on on point. And then yeah, like I, it's really you, man. I think it's. I'm you. just but, uh, I'm just you... a dissenter. <laughs> no, but you're also uh, you're also really really delightful to listen to, and uh, uh, your uh, British uh, dry sense of humor uh, really comes across uh, great <laughs> to, to us. Well, we'll also. end this interview here because it can't get any better than that. Hey, uh, thank you. So. So I should be polite enough to say the person you've been hearing is a Matthias of Redmond Roleplaying, and there's another two members of the crew uh, who will introduce themselves in time. But um, Matthias, why don't you introduce yourself? Tell us a little bit about you and your role in the Redmond Roleplaying setup. 
All right, yeah, so I'm Matthias. I am Swedish originally, but I, I uh, live in Japan. I've been here for the last uh, decade now. And uh, yeah, I'm, I was one of the, the, the founders of Red Moon Roleplaying, which is a, an actual play podcast that um, uh, stays in character and focuses on immersion and atmosphere. And uh, we tend to play a lot of games set in dark worlds, focus on horror. We've done a lot of cult, uh, vampire, those kinds of games. And uh, uh, turns out that it's been a, a great uh, podcast to have Matthew on because you, it's a lot of darkness within you. So you fit in really, really well. Um, mm. and, uh, yeah, so, so, uh, we've been doing this, uh, this show for a few, uh, a few years now, uh, me and Craig and, and, uh, Yalmar and, uh, yeah, my role is, uh, I've been uh, GM and then, um, for, for our cult campaign and, uh, then, uh, I'm joining in as players and I think we're, we're uh, alternating roles really, um, uh, in, in one campaign, uh, you'll be the player and the next one you'll be the GM. We, we do everything, all of us in, in the, in the podcast, we do the editing, we do, yeah. The whole the whole thing and that's i think why why it works so great because we're we're all pulling an equal amount of weight in, in this endeavor that we have yeah <laughs> done well let's see if our next guest disagrees with the equal amount of weight claim craig <laughs> do, do you feel that there is a balance here or is this see i am an agent of chaos aren't i i'm trying to stir <laughs> ah. something up well, I, Craig Austin, also of Red Moon Roleplaying, an Englishman myself, would say we do try to keep the balance, but maybe sometimes external forces get in the way to disrupt the balance and the angels and demons have to fight until the balance is restored. Or oh, you something, have a flair you know. for the dramatic. Thank you. I do try. I do try. Uh, yes, I uh, play on Red Moon Role Playing. Uh, sometimes I DM, hopefully to an average standard. Uh, I do a bit of uh, <laughs> I do a bit of acting and writing on the side, uh, which helps with all the uh, silly voices I do or try and do. And yes, uh, I'm terrible with self intros. That's like absolutely tea. fine. <laughs> And uh, that leaves us with, last but definitely not least, Yalmar. Yes. Who the hell are you? <laughs> I am the guy whose name you have learned to pronounce very beautifully. That was well, actually correct. Well, Matthias did just say it about two minutes ago, so it was oh, lodged you. firmly in my mind. I'll well, forget it by the next time we're playing together. Yes. <laughs> I think Craig will get it right at one point as well. I, 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 uh, that, 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 Yalmar is, 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 is the H. You can't forget the H. Yalmar, where's the H in Yalmar? <laughs> okay, it feels like an honourable mention of the age. I'm the man with the, the right age, apparently. Uh, I am <laughs> sweet. I, uh, yes, educated musical theatre actor. That's what I am. And yeah, are I you just shouting out words right now? Yes, that I am. I got very nervous. And uh, <laughs> some came out, and you take what you will from that. I studied Japanese with Matthias once upon a time, and uh, mm -hmm. he went to Japan. I stayed behind and uh, became super artistic, and somehow ended up in London, found Craig. Uh, Matthias reconnected, and we started up Red Moon Role Playing. And uh, it's, uh, I would say, fairly balanced uh, at this point. I have still not GM'd, um, but... I do help with artwork, and I do now edit our main uh, campaigns. Not to forget the amazing sound effect editing that is all Hjalmar. 
Yes, indeed. Yes, I do enjoy that. (laughs) That's a lot of fun. Also, cutting together things dramatically, which you actually have not said. That's a lot of fun. (laughs) Well, uh, yeah, Uh, 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 I noticed... So he's a talented musician, playwright, uh, carer of animals... Yes, come to see me play Geppetto in Pinocchio down in southeast London playing now. I also have friendly mutton chops uh, chops for that particular <laughs> role. And and how long is your, your theatrical run of, of Pinocchio? It's running until the 20th of October. After that, we shall endeavor into something a lot more disturbing, a frightening short play. Uh, night, which will be going uh, for two weekends in, in November. It's going to be very disturbing, probably. And uh, yes, if I know this audience correctly, I might enjoy it. So if you're in London, have a look out for Frighteners down in Sydenham in November. <laughs> Fantastic. Okay, well, in that case, I don't need to ask about how the three of you met because you have succinctly answered that question. Uh, oh, but one thing, one thing I am interested to know, because while we have played several games together now, I don't really know the three of you, personally. I don't know how you really got into the hobby or what your preferred games are. So simple questions that they are that no doubt come up in interviews time and time again for the benefit of the audience. Let's go back round to Matthias. Uh, how did you get into uh, tabletop role-playing in the first place? Or are you more of a LARPer? And, uh, and what were your go-to games and what are they now? Yeah, so when I first began, uh, it was um, it was back in the in the nineties. Uh, role playing games had a there was a huge boom of, of role playing games in, in Sweden uh, back in the in the eighties and the the early nineties. Uh, the main game that we have there is called the Drakkar Demoner, which is it sounds like uh, Dungeons and Dragons, and it was kind of meant to to. to kind of capture the same kind of generic high fantasy but it's a it's a brp based game and it's sold really really well it's uh, one of the the the, the best selling uh, games i think uh, historically uh, or like looking looking back it's one of the ones that have done the, the absolutely best even though it was only sold in in swedish to what is a very small uh, audience so it was role-playing games back then were huge so i uh, of course uh, also started playing that i got into uh, the um the PC games, the um, Black Isle, uh, Baldur's Gate, Planescape Torment, those games, uh, yeah, and, and found out found out about Dungeons and Dragons from there. And then um, I guess that was around the time that uh, Dungeons and Dragons Third Edition came out. And it's basically that's how how it started. But but pretty quickly, uh, I moved from fantasy over into cult and the original uh, version of cult, the uh, 1991 version, um, and uh, found just how enjoyable it, it was to uh, to be able to play in our world and to uh, play darker and grimmer uh, stories uh, and uh, I've stuck with that uh, ever since that's I think where my my love for for horror uh, for horror games comes from what about you Craig hmm I feel I actually started proper tabletop role-playing games quite late because for a very long time I had no one to play them with and I only understood oh. the basics of them uh, for quite some time uh, I went into stores and looked at the books I used to find especially old style Dungeons and Dragons interesting when it came to the video games but too complicated to uh, I you know when I was 11 years old I was like what plus two and the 10 and uh, I don't understand any of this it sounds fun to play but I could never run it um, so I didn't uh, my first experiences with role-playing were actually uh, internet forum 
based. Uh, the very first game, I think, when I went to university that I was playing online that was a game called Urban Dead, which I think still runs, I think. It was a very mm. point-and-click online, you're either a survivor or a zombie. Uh, zombies kill survivors. If you die, you turn into a zombie, you then kill survivors. Survivors can find weapons, build up houses. You know, it's like a, basically it's a free MMO type thing, and that's the game. While I was playing okay, this game... Like, like Day Daisy. Yeah, but like a proper, like, it's all just like text on screen type version. Oh, okay. And a couple of pictures, like it's no, no actual graphics. <laughs> but you could chat in that game. And what happened was the original website had a fan fiction section. And I started reading some fan fiction of people talking about their characters in the game. And I then realized I was near these characters. Like I actually went to the place, the building they were talking about in the game and watched them in game role playing. And I went, ah, oh, this is fun. I'll join in. And I did. And that was, you know, that was like proper, just, you know, like I say this to you, you say this to me. I pretend to throw a punch at you. Oh, it hits you. But hmm. you know, no rules at all. Um, but that I think was the first time. And then that moved on to, uh, if you're familiar uh, it, MUDs, multi-user dungeon games. Yeah, yeah. I moved on to one of the. I moved on to well, hell, the, the Iron Realms, um, Aetolia. That's the one that's still very. I think they're the most popular. Uh, where it's like basically an online RPG, but oh yeah, it's all text, and you can role play if you want. And I moved on to that for a few years, joining in those games. Uh, after a time, I started getting a bit bored of the. This is basically just an MMO, like. You know the role, the role playing level being like, I am the king of everything, and you will all obey me. Uh, I, I don't want to obey you. Combat initiated. Start fighting. Oh, I you know I lost out of character. That was so unfair. You know that sort of role play. Uh, hmm. And then I moved on to uh, the RPIs, which were the ones that actually said, No, you have to role play in this game. This is a role playing game. It's got some computer code, but if you don't role play, staff will you know like you get in trouble. And they were a lot of fun. Uh, because that was like, <laughs> what's how to describe it? It's that thing where it's like, imagine if the DM is there twenty four seven, or someone being a DM, and you and seven, eight, nine other ten, sometimes ten, fifteen people can all just role play as long as you want. Now there are problems with that, of course. Uh, number one, when the DMs aren't there, like <laughs> you're basically in these worlds where nothing actually can happen. You can go and fight each other and chat, but you know if you want cool stuff to happen, it's like we have to wait for the DM to come back. So you just wait. Um, but uh, I played one called Armageddon online back in the day. That was so fun because you could permanently die, and you had secrets. People had secrets, so you could get involved in these things. Whereas, like, I had a character who was in this merchant caravan scene, and it was like. Ah, did you tell Lord so-and-so about this? I was like, yes, I did. Why the fuck would you do that? You've just ruined years of planning. Oh, I'm so sorry. And then uh, a guy came in from behind. <laughs> a guy came in from another player, just came in, like, because in that sort of game, it was like the, the bearded man enters the room. The, the, the <laughs> armored man enters the room. So this bearded man comes in. The person shouting at me looks at him, emotes, I look at him, I look at you. Oh, I'm sorry, you've just seen too much. He had this dagger ability, like an assassin dagger ability. It was used on my end of the game. It's like, you've just been multi-stabbed twice. You're dead. Game over. 
and that was the end of that. I was like, I, I never knew what happened because, you, you, you know, again, you couldn't like just like respawn. Like that was it. I had to be a mm. new character. I would never know the consequences. I would never know what happened. And it, funnily enough, it was amazing. It was like, what just happened? That was great. I just got murdered. And apparently years later, someone on a forum did mention because, oh, it's OK. Just, oh, yeah, I think I think someone said like, yeah, they did find your body in a ditch somewhere one day. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, it, it seems appropriate. Yeah. And there uh, we go. And then from there, finally, finally, uh, thanks to Roman role playing and some other games, I did get into more traditional uh, tabletop role playing games. So yeah, well, that that kind of uh, lethality is quite common in Nordic LARPs, mm. uh, and obviously, it's a, it's a very different uh, medium. But it, I, I agree, it can lead to a great sense of satisfaction if you know that you are dead and your death is going to have some kind of meaning to the plot. It could be small, could be large, but yeah, that that mystery is quite enticing. Uh, where it actually feels like a living world and that your death has some kind of purpose, uh, even if it is just you've seen too much. So I quite like the sound of that. I I probably wouldn't do it myself. I I had my share of that kind of thing with EVE Online, uh, betraying uh, guilds (laughs) and the like that I was working for and and getting blown up. In EVE Online, it's a whole different ballgame. There's actual politicians and bankers, actual Mm. corporate espionage, yeah. So what about you, Yalma? Well, my role-playing has been very much sort of coming and going uh, as I grew up. I uh, was introduced to it when I was like eight, perhaps. A few friends were playing, uh, and uh, I never really got a group. I thought it sounded amazing, and uh, I instead was sort of playing on my own, finding computer games like Fallout series, uh, Neverwinter Nights, stuff like that, Baldur's Gate things. And uh, I wanted to role play so badly that whenever I had a friend who played a game like Diablo with me, I'm like, can we stay in character, please? Uh, and <laughs> quite being a pest there. But, the, <laughs> you know, like... Yeah, yeah. Di- Diablo was always a rather hollow experience in that <laughs> exactly. regard, wasn't it? <laughs> exactly. So I'm going to be a sorceress. Now I'm just going to talk like the sorceress doesn't even... <laughs> yeah, that's all you get. That's all you get. Uh, but uh, eventually I found a really good role-playing group in my military service. It's uh, some really great fond memories there with some medics. We always uh, sort of pushed the amount of hours we could stay awake until we had to get back up uh, at 6 a.m. in the morning and do exercises. So good. And moved to London lot later being inspired i think from role playing to pursue the actor's career and uh yeah super happy here to have found the group that craig was playing in and uh did, found that i didn't have time for that unfortunately when i actually had found a group that i could play with suddenly i was too busy and so when matthias uh, come came with the idea of starting a, a role playing podcast sort of just playing from home, but trying to make something really good and serious out of it. Uh, I just lunched at it and it's been such a rewarding experience. So much fun. I, I think that kind of sums it up. Oh, I'm, I'm glad to hear it. I, I've got, got to ask uh, Matthias, actually, as you mentioned, Black Isle, this is a complete uh, off-the-wall, off-chance thing. 
Did you happen to frequent the Black Isle forums back when they existed? I don't think uh, no, and I, I, I might have uh, you know gone gone past there, but I wasn't much of a forum uh, person back then. No, but you uh, you were there. Oh, I, okay. I guess. Uh, uh, it, that was probably my my introduction to role playing was actually on the Black Isle mm. forums uh, because I uh, I've told the tale many times, but I, I only really got into tabletop RPGs through uh, Baldur's Gate and and looking up a Baldur's Gate website when I was at college, and uh, the librarian came up behind me, grabbed my hand while it was on the mouse. Uh, his hand was warm, <laughs> sweaty, and pudgy. Guided the cursor to the web address and told me to type in, uh, I think it was Shadow Force Archer or something like that. It was a spycraft-related website. But, uh, yeah, he introduced me to role-playing from that. But I had been doing online role-playing on the Black Isle forums, doing some Forgotten Realms games where we were all basically all playing deities. It was uh, completely without rules, all freeform. But anyway, this isn't about me. Uh, so, Red Moon Roleplaying, your show has of course won an Any Award, which is pretty damn impressive. Thank you. <laughs> uh, and yeah, well, all co- kudos to you. Uh, it's, it is a fantastic show. And for anyone who, uh, who hasn't listened to Red Moon Roleplaying before, uh, we've uh, already given a brief rundown of what your show entails, but do any of you have some kind of mission statement or a way you would describe what your what your goal is for for each show? I feel Matthias definitely has one go, Matthias. <laughs> well, I think it's it's <laughs> what we wanted to do with Redmond role playing was um, to. One of the reasons I came back into role-playing games, because I, I'd been in this long sort of deep freeze during university and starting to work. And, and during those years, at least for me, it was difficult to, to first of all, find a group and then find uh, time for, for role-playing. So when I then discovered actual play podcasts and, and discovered that you could actually listen to other people play and you could actually experience these uh, role-playing campaigns that you had always wanted to play but knew that you would never get the time to play. You could actually experience them while you're doing the dishes or you're you know, mowing the lawn or, or whatever it is. You could actually get role-playing back into your life. Um, so, so I really, uh, really loved uh, the fact that actual play podcasts existed and um, really listened to, to uh, quite a, a few of them. But one thing that I, that I felt with pretty much everything that I listened to was that so many of them leaned very, very heavily into comedy and humor. And it was very different from the style of play that I had had with my group when, uh, when I was playing uh, during my, my, my teens, um, where we were trying to do sort of what we're doing in Rem and Role Playing, where we're trying to stay in character. We're trying to, to treat the, the source material uh, as, it, as though it is a serious, you know, serious drama. This is, this is a real story we're telling here. We're not... We're not gonna, you know, make meta jokes and and and, and, and uh, just uh, laugh around. I mean, that, that can be fun too. But it there's something really cool about like really going into your character, really kind of getting that bleed uh, bleed going. The, the role playing games can be so powerful when you when you get that. So we wanted to bring that kind of experience to actual play podcasts because we didn't really feel like there was anyone that was doing that, um, and we mm. felt I, I certainly felt that that was something that especially for horror games, it can really help elevate 
um, actual plays of, of, of those kinds of games quite a bit because you can actually legitimately create a feeling of, of dread, of, of horror. It's a little bit more difficult to do that if you add a bunch of, of, of jokes. Um, so that was what we wanted to try and do. We wanted to see if there was other people who wanted to to listen to that kind of show, and uh, we're very we've been very positively surprised and happy to see that that yes, there are people who actually enjoy it to uh, to get their their role playing served in, in that particular uh, flavor, and uh, yeah. And uh, so we which... try to make oh. sure to always dual wield uh, Desert Eagle Magnums to <laughs> to keep you in that teenage <laughs> style that you, you used to play. That, that was... Jumping sideways whilst firing. I mean, the Matrix came out yes. around the time when I was playing Cult. So you can imagine that there was... A, the Matrix and Snatch, the movie Snatch, right? <laughs> there was a lot of, oh, yeah. mm. of dual wielding of Desert Eagles back then. A L- little bit less of that now, yeah. I would say. <laughs> but Yeah. Yeah. It, it seems the, the fantasy element of, of gunplay has gone away slightly, except with John Wick. Maybe maybe John Wick, there'll be an RPG based on those movies, and it will all come mm-hmm. back. <laughs> we can live in hope. It's always Keanu Reeves, isn't it? He's got something exactly. to do with it. <laughs> so, on the subject of immersion and bleed, uh, that's a good question, because people are going to be listening, and then they've heard some of the games that you have played or ran uh which of the games that you've played do you feel have had the biggest effect on you as players uh and uh, not necessarily left you feeling morose or shattered or anything like that but even through the experience of play itself uh which ones do you feel you have been most impacted by and i guess i open this up to to the room whoever speaks first well I feel I'll be I'll, I'll go with the obvious answer first. Uh, cult. <laughs> oh, it's not only our show that we started with, and we I still feel it's some of our best content. Um, as a game, it's just a great game. It's a perfect mixture of uh, horror elements that I enjoy, and also e I really um, when I started playing tabletop role playing games, proper ones. I wasn't actually that interested in things like Dungeons and Dragons at first. I was like, I, that looked fun. And, and especially 5th edition, I was like, oh, this is fun. I enjoy this. But for me, it was more things like World of Darkness and games that looked like they had sort of like a, a dark edge to them, um, <laughs> including, of course, Dark Heresy, uh, because I saw the title. and was like, ooh, what's this? Dark Heresy. That sounds dark. <laughs> um, <laughs> but I then... <laughs> but uh, I... It is a it is a gripping pair of words there, isn't it? Dark and heresy. Exactly. I, mean... I was like 19, 20 years old. I was like, oh, yeah, look at this. And you look at the artwork on that first cover, and I was just like, yeah. Yeah, and the book is mostly black <laughs> as well. Um, but then I really liked a game called uh, When Dungeon World came out. I saw that being on a on a YouTube channel, actually, some people playing it. I thought, wow, what the, what's this style of game where it's all about the players make things up what this isn't how those games are played it's all like the dm has all the notes behind his screen and the players do as they're told <laughs> or, or not um and then the whole yeah and now the whole bunch of those games the powered by the apocalypse games the narrative story games have now in the last i think five seven eight nine years like really started coming to their fore and so then cult is one of those it's a horror game with then the rules being very Ooh, it's all about what your characters want to do, and most of it's just narrative. You don't need to worry about how far away the gun is, or if you can jump 
the building. You know, it's all just like narrative, narrative. And so for me, that of the games we played, that one is the one that resonates the most, I feel. And I think uh, speaking of that, the, the the campaign that we played there, the Black Madonna, I mean, it was the, the first project we took on and it was something that we were fully focused on. We weren't doing anything except for the Black Madonna. And uh, I was... Uh, I had began that during, uh, I, I was on paternity leave. So I had a lot of time to also really think about this, like all day long, basically. So um, I, I put a lot of, of my uh, my soul as a, as a GM into into that one and doing tons of research, like reading up about uh, Berlin in the 90s, about Moscow and then the fall of the Soviet Union. And it was a lot of effort that was put into it. So the whole journey that we took there with the characters, um, it it really is something that I think will always stay with me, and the ending and how we wrapped that up, and like I, you know, feeling just how emotional I was there when we when we had the last session and and we had the last few lines uh, delivered. I, I'm not sure if we will able to be able to fully replicate that because you know your the first campaign will always be the first, but I think to me that's the one that um, that that will always. Uh, probably stay as the, the most powerful experience I've had with, with Red Moon Roleplay. But hey, let's see. There might be something more exciting. Well, yeah, now, now you've, yeah, you've thrown down the gauntlet. I have to somehow, uh, I will break you. <laughs> that, that. Well, well, without, <laughs> spoiling, hey, without spoiling things, you, you, you've already come quite close. <laughs> in yeah. yeah, I mean... Yes, mm. Oof, yeah, that's 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 intense. Mm. If you're talking about that mm. stuff with, uh, that Matthew's leading us mm. through, ah, you can you can spoil it a little. Well, <laughs> in that case, then playing through the summit written by Mr. Dawkins, I I'm quite traumatized. That was only that's half the. It's <laughs> only a few sessions. I'm traumatized for life. It's great. <laughs> Yeah, it's really great. Yeah, I don't hold out much hope for your character, Craig. <laughs> I might be able to take some people down with me. That's all I want now. <laughs> hey. <laughs> yeah, you, yeah. You, 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 you've got your, you got, you got your kid, But yeah, Kamal, um, yeah, what your thoughts on your, yeah? <laughs> it's very, it's, it's, it's a tricky question because uh, I'm a very much sort of, yeah, the freshest memory that I have is the most powerful one. So I mean, what we're doing now with uh, uh, Clara and uh, you, Matthew, is amazing. Uh, my character is. Yeah, in a very sort of weak position there, and um, uh, yeah, I was I was crying a few sessions in. It was it was great. <laughs> <laughs> it was great. Um, sounds good. Sounds great. You know, <laughs> that's, that's what we play, right? That's what yeah, we play. That's... Get it all out. I don't know, but uh, also thinking of um, I, 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 for some reason, just it comes up in my mind the um, the the uh, they came from beneath the sea campaign. I don't know why. It's just that playing that character was. A lot of fun, and I think it messed me up in a in a very good kind of way. Yeah, that was an interesting. It was an interesting game, uh, and I, I say that obviously as the the director, the story guide. Uh, but it was the first real foray into they came from as a horror game, and while there were certainly light-hearted elements or farcical elements in there that would have been present in any sci-fi yeah. or horror movie of that era. Uh, the general sense of desperation that the three of you managed to get across uh, a, a, through your characters uh, was was palpable. 
Uh, mm. did, it did feel like there was loss at the end. Yeah. And especially for the homegrown characters uh, that um, Matthias and the Almar were, were playing, the, the locals, essentially. Uh, the... Um, the feel of you know this is my town and look what's become of it yeah exactly uh, just the, the the small town idea and the idea of you know sort of everyone you meet and then you see how they have been changed uh it, it does something it, 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 emotionally it's not it's not like you're diving into something new but you're rather like you're coming home but everything is wrong kind of feel uh, well, here's a here, here's a question then, one you probably don't get asked often. Are there any games, and they don't have to be Onyx Path ones, but they can be, that absolutely don't interest mm. you? They're sorts of RPGs that you would never, that you just don't feel inclined to do an actual play of uh, because the subject matter doesn't appeal, maybe you don't like the genre. Well, there are sort of role-playing games which are really sort of slice-of-life style of kind of games, isn't it? Like that you just, they don't escalate and, and you're just living in an alternate reality, those kinds of things. That I, I, I don't think I would think would be very interesting, sort of uh, this second life kind of uh, <laughs> idea. Mm. Uh, I, I know. I know. By asking this question, I'm potentially robbing you of ah, future yes. sponsors yes, exactly, and supporters. Yeah. But, but, damn it, uh, you you are being well, interrogated try, right uh, now. You know, it could be. I could be nice about it. When it comes to themes, I admit personally, I struggle with games that are very, 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 very realistic. Like really realistic. Like simulating. And here's a hundred. I I admit, I GURPS. It's a good system. It's a good system. Play it seriously. Play it. I, it's so it's adaptable. You can play any game you want in it. It's it can be fun. I've played a few games of it, and I just get lost. There's so many plus two to this, plus one to that, plus five to this, minus two to this, minus seven to that. If you want to invest in points in this, it's ten points, but then it's twelve points. That's and I just I'm gone. I'm lost. The math, the the skills, I'm lost. And, and yeah. so, so you, so you definitely favour narrative-heavy games mm. uh, that probably benefits the the medium of actual play yes, as well. Yes, exactly. And and I don't say that again personally. I, I I do like a bit of realism. I think, for example, with a great GM like Matthias, uh, we know, for example, No Man's uh, Martin. In that case, they know what they're talking about, and so I go with it. But as a DM. I, I can't do the. You go down to the police station and you have to file the form, and then by the way, here's the legislation law, and I, I just start. I go mm. a bit. Oh, okay. <laughs> it can it can be very difficult as a GM to make bureaucracy interesting. Mm. It's one of those fine lines, like in a movie like Brazil, or that uh, that some of you may have seen, uh, where it's uh, an absolute bureaucratic nightmare. Uh, alternate universe or uh, near future kind of sci-fi and th uh, it's that that kind of movie does it spectacularly well where the grind of bureaucracy is uh, uh, is very evocative uh, games like slay industries which is currently on kickstarter that's a nightfall games rpg uh, are wonderfully blend uh, the the mundane of things like corporate sponsorship with the splatterpunk of of blowing up carnivorous pigs and mm. cannibals, mm. 
Mm-hmm. But uh, but it's the way you do it, the way you're shot doing it, uh, making sure that the gun you're using at that time is the one you've been sponsored to use, because then you'll get more sponsorship and more fan mail and things like that. It's a um, very cynical kind of game, but but I don't know that might that might f- fill the need if you have one. But but what about you, uh, Matthias? Is there any kind of game you're not? interested in i think what i really love doing the most is to uh, to really prepare a, a big campaign really uh read up on on, uh, on a place on a time period and and, and sort of think of of, um, of cool locations uh put together descriptions kind of prepare quite a lot i enjoy that and i enjoy also then putting that into to practice and having the characters uh experience that and and, and um sort of guide the the, the story in a, in a way through what I have what I have want to to tell so I, I very much pre- prefer the more traditional games and I would say if there's anything that I, I probably don't prefer as much it is it is the ones where it's very much improvised right it's very much you you just come up with something on the spot uh, right there right then and you you just create something in the moment and I think it can probably be really cool to and, and fun to play and of course it takes away all this prep that can I mean of course take quite a long time but but I never feel that comfortable with that improvisation I've never really felt like I can truly tell the story that I want to tell that way I cannot describe things in the way that I want to describe them I the the words don't sort of come to me in 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 the way that that I would like so I tend to probably avoid those improvisation-heavy games. Not to say that I, I don't improvise. Of course, you have to whenever you're role-playing, but but um, not the ones where you're just sort of creating something. Uh, you, you come in with zero prep and then you just do something. That that is not something that I'm, I'm immediately mm. drawn to, at least. But uh, I'd love to find a game that uh, that changes my mind on that because you, you know having a few more hours when you're not prepping stuff would of course be nice mm. i mean for example it's funny because i i quite like the game blades in the dark but i acknowledge after reading it a few times and i tried to play it with some friends i don't think i'm very good at running it because improvised heists are actually really hard for me i was i was thinking <laughs> actually this is hard shit what you know because when it's all prepped out you have you know all these cool buildings and ways of Blade of the Dark is very much, if you're not familiar, it's a game of like, oh, yeah, you sort of go in and the heist just happens and cool stuff happens in a cool Victorian underground, uh, not underground, a sort of like World of Darkness type gritty setting. But yeah, I found it really hard to run. And then I kind of feel I might not run it again because it's hard. (laughs) No, it's not always a game I get on with. Uh, The structure of Blades in the Dark isn't a uh, system that I favour, and I don't mean in the sense of the dice you roll and the challenges and things like that, I mean in the way the game is laid out with um, almost one phase for planning, one phase for the heist, which as you say you're just dropped Mm. into, or whatever the the scenario happens to be Uh, it creates a certain dissonance I found between myself and my players when I try and do it because they're so used to role-playing the mm-hmm. journey mm-hmm. and uh, that's and that's just I run for quite a lot of gaming groups and it just seems to be something they all enjoy whereas Blades in the Dark takes the view and people can correct me listeners can correct me if I'm wrong uh, and it's not a critique of the game by the way or criticism this is just my opinion that uh, that Blades in the Dark 
removes that element. Mm. It encourages you to focus on the action, uh, not necessarily combat, but your character's doing, uh, whereas my preference is an awful lot of the introspection that comes with time alone with the player characters and maybe one or two NPCs, mm. because that's, for me, what what draws character out of, of the again, PCs more than... Which, again, I hmm. found annoying, because I love the book. It's a great book. The setting's great. The, the concept, the rule's great. I love the artwork. I love the characters. Like, I was loving it. I, re- I, want, to, I want to play it. I want to have someone who's a better DM than me run it for me, <laughs> and I can play. <laughs> yeah. Well, that won't be me. <laughs> um, <laughs> and also, just for fun, because you said, in the world of Onyx Path, this is purely personal preference. I don't get mages. They're hard. I get vampires. I get werewolves. Hell, I can get mummies, ghosts, all of them. Mages. I'm like, this. All these spells. So many. What do you do with them? How do they work? How do you make this? Why is it so different from any fantasy setting? Mages. I think because the mages are the most. Well, what do you think, Matthew? I think for me, from what I've read of mage, mage is the most like it's all about mortals, but they're not mortals, and they have all the the most conspiracies, but they're all yeah. There's so many, and yeah. Well. You know, I think um, both mage games, uh, Ascension and Awakening, are fairly divisive uh, when it comes to fan bases. Because if you got into World of Darkness with Vampire or Wraith, which is obviously far less common, uh, you're less likely, and this is purely anecdotal on my uh, part, to then get into Mage. Whereas if you get in with Mage, I find that you're far less likely to to enjoy Vampire because both have a very uh, different take on the world in which you live. Um, Mage, in both incarnations, is arguably urban fantasy. And while there are horrific elements, the game isn't strictly a horror game. Uh, And so much like with changing the dreaming in some ways, it can leave uh, existing fans feeling a bit nonplussed. They think, you know, I I just don't get it. I don't understand how this this works. Uh, It isn't as structured as the other World of Darkness games. It's uh, the the punishment for being a shit isn't (laughs) as obvious unless you're going around throwing paradoxical magic, you know, vulgar magic here and there and everywhere. Um... It's it's just not so uh, readily visible as it is in Vampire if you diablerize someone, for instance, <laughs> or in Werewolf if you yeah, who would do that, um, <laughs> or Werewolf if you um, if you rage constantly and Wraith has a shadow and so on. Yeah, who would? but I mean, to me, it sounds very appealing. I I've, I've just heard about Mage and we have had sort of glimpses of it when we played sort of mix and mash. Uh, kind of world of darkness games where we had elements of sort of everything that happens and to me it seems very appealing i i find that almost any game can be appealing as long as you're with the right group mm. and has the right style of it i i find that as as long as there's you don't need to get into a game with a certain knowledge then i'll enjoy it mm. but i don't mm. particularly enjoy games where you know, if I, I can't play certain characters because I don't know this and that, uh, because then you would have to rely on the GM for that. I mean, not saying that I would want to go in and in, into a game where I would know my character would know more than the other player characters, and the play the other players would know more than me, and I I would automatically be at sort of a, a disadvantage. But 
I like it when I can feel that I play a, a character who knows his things with the help of a good uh, game master or storyteller. That's someone that... Well, yeah. Yeah, one, one could say that any of those games with, whether it's World of Darkness with clans and tribes and uh, and traditions, mm. or Planescape with factions, uh, which I know, I know you've played mm-hmm. Planescape recently... Uh, both have a certain amount of in-setting investment mm. that the players kind of need because the world is so already fleshed out. They don't; it doesn't have to be that way, but often it feels like to get the most out of this world of darkness or out of Sigil or the planes, you kind of need to know a little bit about what you're signing up for. Because players, uh, to use Planescape as an example, if if you're using the factions in Planescape, which again is a very uh, divisive uh, part of the setting, some people hate factions. I'm personally a big fan of them, but they were based on clans from Vampire. There's a oh, tidbit yeah. of information. Uh, the uh, the fact that um, someone's going to come up to you and tell you all the gods uh, are frauds. Gods aren't real, and we are the Athar. We believe in powers, but we don't believe in gods, and if there is a god, it's unknowable. Come join our faction. Now, most fantasy characters aren't going to buy that, and there's very little reason for a player to make their character buy into that unless they have gone in with the preconception that they're going to play a member of the Athar, because it's quite a... uh, strong view to have in a Dungeons and Dragons <laughs> fantasy setting. And yet one of, they're one of the great factions of Planescape, much like Dustmen, who believe everyone is dead already. You're just on a different level <laughs> of death, depending on how far into the faction you get. If you're a cleric of the god of life or rebirth, Lothander or something like that from the Forgotten Realms, you're going to maybe struggle a little with that ethos. But... but on the subject of Onyx Path games, as you started talking mm-hmm. about Mage, um, let's talk a little about the games we have played. I'm going to uh, ask you to do something which is very, uh, I guess, self-congratulatory for me. Uh, for the audience, I have now run for these fine fellows. Uh, they came from Beneath the Sea, uh, set in Lovecraftian... It was Alabama, wasn't Denton, it? Alabama. Uh, Lovecraft. Danton, Alabama. Uh, yeah, ne- never was there more of a uh, a nice, sweet town of nice, sweet people with no <laughs> secrets. Uh, so we had they came from beneath the sea. We had a short scarred la- scarred lands campaign as well. Uh, I have been running Cult Divinity Lost, which of course isn't an Onyx Path game, but we can talk about that a little. And I'm currently playing with them in a game of uh, V5 Chicago by Night, run by uh, Clara Horskia Herbel. There will, in future, be an actual play of V5 Cults of the Blood Gods, if the stars align, and I'm sure they will. And we, we certainly hope to do an actual play of Mummy the Curse Second Edition, uh, if if possible, uh, certainly I would be very eager to do something like that. Mm. But before we get on to that, I want you guys to blow my trumpet <laughs> and <laughs> and say what was what were your favourite bits of uh, They Came from Beneath the Sea, for instance? Whether it's mechanical, whether it's setting wise, what was it about that game that you enjoyed? I enjoyed how mind-bending it was at times when we sort of took the uh, system and made it into a horror system and took these uh, three uh, old ones that were watching over us and how 
reality was impossibly twisted due to it being directed by an unknown hand. And I really felt that, you know, all of our minds sort of went along with that strange transformation of reality and just accepting because you know how the human mind has to accept what happens or it will break and how 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 to deal with that in particular i i definitely enjoyed that when you when we as players got invested in the system and understood how it meant like we're going to use the rewrites to create this uh, to make this happen impossibly falling through the floor uh, as it goes up in flames, something that was originally made out of concrete. And you make that up and then you also at the same time have to deal with it as your character. How do I react to what I've just made for myself? That was, to me, kind of mind-blowing. And I really enjoyed the characters and, and um, the way that you were able to portray them and the, ac the accent that you put on was, it was really, really uh, perfect. It really felt like we were in Alabama. Um, and and they were so there were so many like lovable characters, but but they all had a secret. They all had a darkness in them. And then there were some really nasty characters, some really like mean characters that mm. treated our characters like shit. <laughs> and it was really fun to interact with with uh, both of those types of of uh, NPCs. And uh, you started caring about the characters, which uh, doesn't always uh, happen. And unfortunately, many of them met a rather grisly end. So we were sad. You know, I felt legitimately sad. So well done on, on creating those, uh, like drawing those characters and making them come to life. Well, you came face to face with one of my three accents, <laughs> uh, which is gene generic southerner. Uh, although I have recently been told that technically... Alabama is southeast and not south, but there you go. Um, what about you, Craig? Was there anything that stood out? Yes. Um, so as well as, again, enjoying the system, uh, as I've said before, I that for me, it came from beneath the sea, had the perfect level of interesting narrative rules, but they were still not just, as you said, complete improvisation. They weren't like, this ability, you could just do anything. It was... This ability, you could introduce a character who has this purpose and these special rules. And that is great. That, to me, is great. That's just enough rule for the game element, but still an interesting, you know, rather than like, oh, this character now has plus one strength. It's like, no, this character is a cool NPC who has a story. And then the... You know, oh, yeah, you introduced the little bow on the yes. bike. I yeah. think that was was that Yalmar that, was, yeah, that did that. Yeah, Oh, and well, even yeah, even <laughs> the creepiest uh, child ever. Even the oh, flashback so mechanic, though. Like again, actually, that's one thing I did like in Blades of the Dark. It was a similar system here. Mm. I love the ah, uh, oh, have a flashback where you can set things up, yeah, and you can then have a bit of character, a bit of story, but then there's a game mechanic to actually ah, oh, and then this now helps you in the scene, and I feel that sort of thing. It just ah, it just it just gives you, it just opens up possibility for things like, not saying in other games you don't can't have flashbacks, but you know it's a bit like why would you have a flashback? Well, here's like ah oh, yeah, we want we wanted Xiaoma to have a cool flashback because it's like yeah that will help us. Xiaoma have a flashback, yeah. you know. Matthias, exactly. have a flashback. I was wondering yeah. if we were, mm. I was wondering if we'd ever start fighting over the rewrites, mm -hmm. uh, but somehow we didn't. Somehow we, we kind of managed mm. to split that up. Yeah. 
Oh, well, no, I, I, I was uh, just going to refer back to something uh, that Matthias was saying about the great old ones that were possessing your characters. Uh, that when I introduced that concept, which isn't in They Came From Beneath the Sea as, as written, but is a very easy thing to to add into the game and may well be added should we do a horror version, uh, is that it could have very easily overtaken the overtaken play if you were going around feeling like Niall Athotep. Mm. But all credits to the three of you as role players for essentially spicing that stuff in rather than letting it drown out who your character was. It only emerged once or twice per character throughout the entire campaign. Yeah. And that seemed to work because it meant that for the most part they were just humans it, experiencing it, terror. It felt important that those old ones were not our characters but rather something watching over the characters and having an agenda for the characters. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think that's how you presented it that we weren't really we weren't really acting them uh, but we were rather that their invisible hand was was there in case we messed up and like you mess you mentioned there the flashbacks uh craig how fun it is that those flashbacks weren't actually they hadn't happened before we put them in there uh that was one of the old ones suddenly changing you know mm-hmm. history changing of what had happened right that's how it worked they they and suddenly you had this thing in your car and you you put in like ringing sounds and noise bleeds and stuff like that because something changed that wasn't supposed to change. Hmm. Uh, so let, shall we move on to Scarred Lands? Uh, yes. yes, but I want to add one very quick thing. I also just like the setting, the time setting, the whole uh, 1950s monster oh, movie, yeah. sci-fi, especially for the way we did it. I was like, yeah, I want this to be like a radio, 1950s radio show. Like, and next week on Tales from the Abyss, we have to find the machine mm. boy. Oh, I got to free cancer. You know, like that That was my the vibe I wanted to go with because that was how I felt you could have it still be, as you said, a bit more horrifying than the default setting. But also still True. homage the some of the lightheartedness of the actual game. Again, the, you know, the, the people doing those things thought they were serious. By today's standards, they are still, you know, they're like, "What? Re- Come, let's go to the handy it, nuclear laboratory just down the road." It felt very fresh to mm. me, as I mean, refreshing to play in the sort of fifties area era, era, because not many role playing games, I, or, or at least I, I don't think I've ever played a no. role playing game that takes, you know, place in that time before. It's quite rare, and and I, and I think well, it was great also that you brought in some of the real darkness from that era, era as well, like the uh, the Red Scare and McCarthyism and that stuff. We we made that into a theme as well, and I think that that yeah. m- uh, meshed very well then with the more lighthearted aspects of you know life in this uh, southern southeastern uh, small town. So yeah. Oh, well, thank thank you very much, and uh, and Craig, it's nice that you've grown attached to the term machine boy because I think you're going to have to grow <laughs> used to it in another game. Uh, so so now so Scarred Lands, I'm a big fan of the Scarred Lands setting, and um, I really enjoyed running it for you. In fact, I very rarely get a chance to run Dungeons and Dragons these days because my my common gaming groups tend to play other things. Um, but obviously, it was a setting with a slight difference for you guys. Um, 
Was there anything about that game that stood out? Uh, anything about the setting I that you enjoyed? I really enjoyed the concept of the ancient gods, the titans, and how the world was sort of formed around that. I also really enjoyed the attempt to, you know, proper make the uh, character species yeah, a little different, a little different. I mean, okay, we had an elf, some elves and dwarves, but, you know, they were still... They was, I tried to make it a bit more interesting because... Um, as, as our listeners will know, we play D&D, but we've played Curse of Strahd, an adventure set in a realm completely like its own, you know, the Ravenloft realms, a very different sort of story style. And even in the newest one we're doing, Journey to Avernus, that adventure, everyone's commenting, oh, we're seeing another complete, the multiverse, you know, completely different. It's not yeah. just uh, the default setting, which I used, you know, I've forgotten realms. It, it's okay. It, it 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 has some fun bits. It has some bits that are a bit like okay, yeah, the elves live here, the dwarves do that, yeah, yeah, yeah. So I really liked it, just the initial concept of Scarn. I was enjoying just that uh, sort of the world felt a lot more uh, deserty and post-apocalyptic, and it worked on different tropes to ah, oh, here are the elves in the elf kingdom and the dwarves in the dwarf kingdom, and you know, and perhaps mm. slightly menacing as well, mm. with all knowing that these slumbering titans existing and also knowing that there are some trying to revive them in secrets and there is a lot of politics in the backstory and sort of being thrown straight into the more of a a fire fire rack i was about to say fire crack uh i can't remember oh no it was a fire rack dragon it was uh, craig that kept saying a fire crack dragon (laughs) Firecrag, thank you very much. <laughs> okay. Firecrag. Yeah, so, well, fi- fi- as I think I mentioned, Firecrag is a red dragon right. in Baldur's Gate 2. Uh, but, but yeah, uh, is uh, that, that fire rack dragon yeah. was not. Like... Uh, and, yeah, to be fair, your dwarf got incinerated pretty early on, and that, that, that was, was completely because of our fault. A dwarf yes. with a huge, rich backstory. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that that he was supposed to be your in to the plot, yeah. and uh, yeah, you just sacrificed him to a dragon in the first yeah. session. It was quite good. But I fun. think I th- maybe also the scenario, that scenario, because you were put under a lot of pressure, it, it helped create this sort of menacing feel for the world. Yeah, definitely. Sure. Like the, there was a uh, dragon that was going to eat us if we didn't do this heist. Uh, so these like kind of. Uh, <laughs> kind of funny lizard folk and, and this rat man uh, came together and, and yeah, they tried to pull off this uh, this heist knowing that if they didn't succeed they would uh, they would die and uh, it was a nice mixture of, of yeah. kind of funny character bits but also some very serious situations and 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 as we actually did the heist some really some really disturbing and dark stuff uh, which was great mm. uh, so yeah I would love to go back to, to Skarn to see what happens to to our, our little uh, mm. little heist crew there. Exactly. You know, I would definitely I, I say felt the like um, I never fully uh, Yeah. Oh I was just, I definitely <laughs> agree with Matthias on the heist itself. That was just great. Yeah. That dungeon was I was like, we're gonna die. We're gonna die. These traps seem so like it was that wonderful element of we just about got past those things by the skin of our teeth and it felt one wrong roll and it'd be like, Yep, you, you get crushed to death by this room that's turning into an ice room and then a fire room and then an earth room it was like fuck and that monster yeah i was surprised you survived honestly yeah it did feel like you didn't really fully intend for us to be able to pull that off 
Not all of you. I, I, I anticipated maybe one of you escaping with the uh, suit of armor and the other two of you being burnt in their wake. But no, you, you banded together at the end. You acted as a team. You did sacrifice one of the NPCs in your party. Uh, but it was someone needed to wear I mean, his skin. You, you, there was... I don't remember who it was, but someone getting almost trapped in the sort of closing... Uh, the building itself is starting to just re meld in, into a solid mass and there was someone or you had to roll like three dexterity checks and you passed uh not to get mm. stuck in there it, it was like that was really by the skin of our teeth yeah. and when you announced that we would continue that adventure i mean somewhere down the line that there would be a part two i i was i was very excited because I, I felt already sort of invested in that character and, and those things around it. And I felt like, oh, there's there's more, there's more I, uh, I'm i not familiar with. Uh, and I wasn't even sure if I was, I, it was if, I, if I felt like I was playing, you know, Dungeons and Dragons or if I felt like I was playing something different. It's like taking one of these old computer games that we mentioned, like if you're playing Planescape Torment or if you're playing Baldur's Gate, it feels like, different places even though we've got the same sort of uh, uh, characters and races and things like that going on well we're running short on time so uh, I don't know whether we'll get enough time to wax poetical about cult and Chicago which of course are currently in progress anyway so we shouldn't speak too highly of them they may go horribly wrong uh, I know one of them is going to go horribly wrong for at least some characters uh, in it uh, in fact, all characters in it, and that's no. In fact, that might happen in both. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, but yeah, I, I'm not running Chicago. So now, as I mentioned, I'm going to be intending to run Cults of the Blood Gods for you, yes. uh, which is an upcoming V5 release, and doing the same for Mummy. Now, what, if anything, are you anticipating about these these books, these games? Well. I'm anticipating Clan Hecate. I probably said that wrong. Hecate? Hecatat? Yep. <laughs> it's the Hecata. <laughs> Clan Hecata. Go, go, go. <laughs> <laughs> but that's all right. You can play. Uh, you'll be a caitiff just <laughs> dragged along on the outside because you can't pronounce <laughs> oh, the name correctly. Oh, damn it. <laughs> you, you were a member of the Hecata, but not well, anymore. Okay, in that case, I'll just be Giovanni. Clan Giovanni. I know them, okay. That was easy to say. Te- technically, it's <laughs> Giovanni, uh, but I-, I could do this all day. You could be dragged along the uh, clan, Giovanni, if someone couldn't pronounce the name correctly. You've got lots of attention, mm. Craig. Well, Yao Ma, maybe one day. Maybe one day. <laughs> I have pronunciation problems. You'll notice in our D&D thing, I'm pretty sure I'm saying the city's like Turiel, and I'm pretty sure it's pronounced like Turiel or something. And I'm just like, I'm pr- it's my game. I can pronounce how I want. Yes, it's your game. Fancy names. <laughs> I'm really looking forward to Mummy, uh, actually, because I've I've only sort of found out that Mummy was a thing that existed within the world of darkness, and it just seemed like mummies, like these just dudes wrapped in like toilet paper. I yeah. mean, but it's not right. It's so much more than that. So I, I really can't wait for you no. to. Uh, well, you well, know, this to, one to show us what that's all about. I think they actually. Well, this one's going to be yeah, the of Chronicles one. of Darkness, Mummy. And uh, yeah, toilet paper or cloth, <laughs> interchangeable, really. Uh, but yeah, that's. 
Well, in in a pinch, either will yes. do, honestly. Um, but but yeah, Mummy: The Curse Second Edition is shaping up to be very very nice. Uh, I'm developing that book, and it is currently in development as of time of recording, but probably won't be for much longer. And that's a game that is going to be getting quite cosmic in its yes. scope. It always had that. Uh, potential in first edition but i know some people know about this already but one of the central conceits of mummy the curse second edition is it's the timeless chronicle which is due to the fact mummies wake up periodically throughout time and it's usually because their cults summon them or it's because their tombs are disturbed Uh, but in second edition they don't work wake up in uh, linear order they don't fall asleep in 1200 CE and the next time they wake up is in 1444. Uh, they may fall asleep in 1444 and the next time they wake up, they happen to be in Constantinople during the rise of Islam in 550 CE. Uh, and your characters waking up with minimal memory but godlike powers as the chronicle goes on, your powers decrease as your memory increases. And you can start using talents that you have picked up in the future, in the past. Wow. Uh, because the, these characters are displaced from time. That That's the point. They are vessels of their gods. You can see where uh, I got some of that from. and Or the judges, I should say. And they they are placed wherever the judges want to put them. Uh, so yeah, it's uh, a horror game of not only memory, but also just not knowing where you are or why you're there almost each time. Uh, it's uh, a game of confusion, <laughs> but that hopefully really fun cool. confusion. Yeah, yeah so I think it's that. super cool. Hmm. 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 Well, uh, we should probably sign off shortly. So I would like to say thank you very much, each of you, for coming along for this interview. It's been a lot of fun. Uh, Is there anything the three of you, and it can be anything at all, wish to promote before you go? Uh, Like, for instance, your website or indeed any products or any particular actual place? All right. Yeah. So you can find us on redmoonroleplaying.com. You can find us on Facebook and on Twitter by searching for Red Moon Roleplaying. We're Everywhere where you can find uh, podcasts, Spotify, Apple Podcasts. Uh, uh, you can also find us on YouTube by searching for Redmond Roleplaying. So all of our uh, episodes are available there. Uh, so you can uh, have that running in the background while you're playing a video game or whatever it is that you uh, want to be doing. So uh, we have uh, released about 180, it's almost 185 episodes now uh, of various uh, games. And I think what we have going right now that we think you should definitely check out is, of course, Chicago by Night and The Sacrifice with uh, with Clara as a storyteller. Um, and that is also visible on the uh, Onyx Path uh, YouTube. So you can uh, follow that there as well. And then we think we should also look into our other uh, sort of main campaign that we're running right now, which is uh, Baldur's Gate Descent into Avernus, which is the latest Dungeons and Dragons uh, campaign. Uh, and we'll be running through all of that one as well. So uh, if you like the games that we've talked about today, like Baldur's Gate and Planescape Torment, um, the adventure starts in Baldur's Gate. We'll be moving through some of the planes at least, and we're utilizing the music from those games. We've gotten permission from Beanbog to use the music for Baldur's Gate uh, 1 and 2 and for Planescape Torment as well. So you'll be able to get a lot of that nostalgia, uh, you know, going back to those games when you're listening to this. So uh, definitely, uh, yeah, definitely check that out. 
Fantastic. And Craig? Is there anything left? Well, I echo everything. <laughs> <laughs> well, I echo everything Matthias said, but let's make it interesting, I guess. What am I? Well, I'm currently in the world of video gaming playing Age of Decadence for the uh, 20th time. That's a fun little RPG. Check that out on a Steam sale anytime. And uh, I also just kickstarted recently Heart the City Beneath by Grant Howitt, which just looks freaking awesome. And again, looks like the sort of game I've been discussing today of another really cool horror sort of game with a little bit of lots of a sort of like narrative take on dungeon delving, but with narration and crazy stuff and beam necromancers. <laughs> so there you go. Uh, check that out. Uh, that, 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 that's the sort of things I'm currently interested in. And then, of course, yes, please do listen to our show and the Onyx Path show. And actually, oh, and there's a sale on Drive for RPG of the 20th... Ah, you're doing my job for me, Craig. Uh, yes, uh, yeah. The, all the 20th anniversary products and Storytellers Vault products are currently on sale on Drive Through RPG. So yeah, people should definitely check that. out. A lot of my work's up there. So mm. damn it, do it. Mm. It's not like I don't get royalties, but I do like reviews as long as they're not horrible. And, uh, and Yalma, uh, other than uh, your star turn in Pinocchio. Yes, exactly. Feel free to come to those if you happen to be in London. Uh, look out for that. And I could wrap it up by saying that we're trying to opening up. Uh, we're trying to open up a little bit more for commission games as well. So if you are a representative of a games company or the like, or know someone who is curious about possibly having their game played and creating us creating an actual play episode for that with editing and music and everything like that. Uh, do feel free to get in contact with us. We've uh, had the fortune to work with some amazing people, including you, uh, Matthew uh, from Onyx Path, and uh, now getting in contact, getting more in contact with Wizards of the Coast, Coast people. Not to mention all of our sort of plethora of games that we have been able to play with uh, publishers and uh, games uh, testers and so on. So, yes. Uh, get into contact with us if you want to hear us play something. Excellent. Well, thank you very much, guys. And I will be turning this now back to uh, an alternate dimension version of myself, Eddie and Dixie. And we're back as if we never left. Whew. Mm. Probably, probably because we didn't leave. I, no, I, I well, ran up that bus for a long time. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and, you know, we want to know a secret, listeners. We've not even interviewed them yet. <laughs> <laughs> the magic is ruined. Yeah, once again. Now, just due to the peculiarities of timing, we're recording the intro and outro before the interview. Yeah, just, just because there's several guests, everyone's got to be available at the same time, that kind of thing. So we, I can edit this outro after the fact. So that was a really excellent, moderate, poor, disappointing interview, <laughs> didn't you think? Yeah, it was fascinating, informative, funny, silly, and uh, distressing. <laughs> Which part wow. did you find the most funny, informative, interesting, distressing, Dixie? Uh, you know, there was that part like halfway through when the one guy said that thing. Oh, I love yeah. that part. That was great. <laughs> well, that, that just goes to show what a subjective medium this is. 
<laughs> now, now that we've covered the, the interview, uh, hope, I'm sure it will be good. Uh, we we have rapport, myself and the Redmi role playing guy yeah, as well. I, I say that. But it's so <laughs> like, good. It, it, it's so good at distrust me because I feel like we shouldn't do a podcast anymore. It should just be them. Ooh, ooh, nice. So, so, yeah, you feel the bar has been raised. Yeah, and I'm really short. So, like, if you raise the bar over about 5'8", I can't reach it. So it's a physical bar now. You're taking this very seriously. You have installed a bar in your home just to make yourself feel diminished. And the bar actually says on it, Red Moon Ro- Ro- Rising. I mean, it's actually written on the bar. Well, that would be yeah, odd because but- their name's Red Moon Roleplay. <laughs> right, <see. laughs> uh, um, Unless there was, a, there was a mistake at the bar manufacturer. Ah, or, or they could have just been saying it to uh, diminish Dixie because they're saying Red Moon's rising, Onyx Pathcast falling. Well, yeah, Red Moon did rise because the bar went up. Um, yeah. And now <laughs> I can't reach it. <laughs> I'd have my roommate move it for me. She's five foot ten. Could do. Are you going to? No, I mean, I already did. I can't reach hmm. it anymore. I just look at it. I just w- walk under it all the time and think about how I'll never attain such lofty heights. Well, listeners, it's up to you to uh, to rejuvenate our confidence. You need to tell everyone you know about the Onyx Pathcast, or at least the people interested in gaming. You need no, to everyone post- you know. Every, every, everyone you run people into the streets, at the store, yeah. just random people. Wear a sandwich board, like one of those weird uh, judicial punishments that occasionally occurs in American cities where they make you wear a sandwich board that says, um, I didn't pay 13 parking tickets, and you'll walk around the block where you didn't pay your parking tickets with the sandwich board and people will judge you. I have literally never seen that. Yeah, me either. Uh, I don't know what you're talking about. I've seen it happen on TV, but as we know, TV isn't always an accurate reflection of reality. I am shocked. Maybe that should be the message for this episode. I thought TV was real. It's still real to me. No, I'm sad. The the TV itself is real. But maybe one day it won't be. Maybe one day we'll be having holographic TVs projected into our home with holographic uh, broadcasts being broadcasted onto or via the hologram. That was very clear and succinct. I appreciate that. Mm. Well, you know, that's why I'm writing for Cyberpunk, and you're not, no. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, oh, ouch. (laughs) No, I'm not writing for Cyberpunk, but, you know, my inbox is always open. (laughs) (laughs) Hustle, hustle. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, so yes well now that now that the uh, grimness to do with the interview is out of the way um, it was very grim it was and distressing apparently Mm -hmm. grim distressing interesting intriguing and all of the rest Uh, we haven't for quite a while talked about some of the games we're currently working on some of the products uh, we're currently delving into from different perspectives, different points along the process line. So how about you, Dixie? I saw recently you posted your first authorial credit. Yeah. That was from uh, Witch Queen of the Shadowed Citadel, which is a kind of <clears throat> setting supplement slash adventure for Cavaliers of Mars. Um, it's, it's it's kind of a funny story, actually. I, I, I wrote a short setting piece for the core book um and it didn't make it in there was a it was a file mishap on 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 someone's end um so instead rose had me 
redo it for this and add a bunch of word count to it and add a bunch of characters and a bunch of locations. And then Stuffy Devan wrote the actual adventure at the end. Um, so it's just a two-person pro- love, you know, pr- project. It was super, super, super fun, though. And I like playing around in Cavaliers of Mars because you do get to be a little bit uh, flamboyant with your words. Because mm-hmm. it's supposed to evoke that kind of, like, adventure novel from 100 plus years ago. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was a lot of fun because I tend to be a more restrained writer. Uh, the other two things that I've written have been much more informative, you know, <laughs> just... Mm-hmm hear plain words that say things but that one was fun because i got to be a bit overwrought on purpose um and yeah i had a really good time with that uh past that i am editing a whole bunch of stuff right now i don't want to even call out what i'm working on because i have too many things in my <laughs> so in my folder uh we're having one of those moments right now where a bunch of stuff kind of slid into editing right as i thought i was getting things off my plate <laughs> so instead of going like oh i've got a few weeks to get these last couple things off my plate i'm like oh oh now i have more things Okay. All right. I certainly claim uh, some of the, the responsibility for that. Happening. Both of you do. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, I wish I could say sorry and mean it. I could say sorry, but yeah, there, there would be no sincerity. Well, that's, that's one thing about our jobs is that like you two clearing stuff off your plate sometimes puts more things on me and mm-hmm. vice versa, you know? Mm-hmm. So like oh, we yeah. all have to deal with that balance. Yeah, in in all honesty, you know, none of us like to see mountains of work stack up for any of our colleagues. Uh, but yeah, it does seem to be. It is just part of the process that as we occupy different uh, places along the production line at times, especially if if in some weird, wonderful universe, I'm writing for one of Eddie's books that Eddie is developing and Dixie ed- is editing. Like, for instance, what that was Monarchies of Mao, I think. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, we, we mm-hmm. all get to. Uh, We'll get to work on it at some point or other, or, or in fact, um, I don't know, Dixie, whether you'll be uh, editing any of the upcoming V five books that we've done. I don't know. Um, hmm. I am deciding. <laughs> okay, well, it's, um, Eddie works on at least one of, of them. Is oh, true? cool. But yeah, it is one of the things where I have to kind of look at my uh, project list and go, "What do I feel more comfortable letting other people do?" Because hmm. there are some like. Not many people besides me have looked at StoryPath yet from an editing perspective. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I tend to do a lot of the StoryPath stuff. And with Exalted, I feel com- like I feel more comfortable with just me doing it because it's got a lot of terms that are weird. And I can go in the Slack and verify things if I need to, and not all editors can do that. Right. But but some of the Chronicles and like V5 stuff, aside from the mechanics, at least the language is very much rooted in the real world. Mm. So it's a little bit easier to let somebody else do it. Of course, then... You have the problem where, like, if someone else doesn't fact check as much as I do, then they might also miss things. So who knows? Everything is a gamble. That's true. So what about you, Eddie? The editing out the window. Um, relating to that, actually, the the project prioritization. Um, I did have uh, four different Scion books all hit approval at basically the same time. Yeah, um, I saw that. <laughs> yeah, so it's been interesting to. Um, because for those that know, for our internal process, even though we own Scion, uh, we still have Rich and Neil uh, go through uh, the approvals the same way. Um, for Trinity, we have Ian and Rich go through all the uh, manuscripts. Um, so it was first like, okay, which book do we prioritize? Then um, reading one book gave us thoughts on another book. Um, it's something that doesn't usually happen. Usually we do these very much serialized, and sometimes there's months or weeks between them. Um, but it was an interesting 
process in the sense of, okay, this book is relatively clean, so let's get that put together and get that off. Um, this book, you know, we had more discussion about, um, so it's set time to actually talk about that book. Um, and doing that all while also not confusing which book is which. Um, it, was, it was an interesting challenge. I don't want to repeat it very often, but it was one of the things where some books ran early, some books ran late, so they all kind of just hit in that spot. Yep. I've seen that happen a couple times with various mm -hmm. lines. I'm kind of worried it's going to happen with Exalted, where like I'm going to all of a sudden have like four new Exalted books on my plate. I already have like two fiction books I have to work on. Right. Yeah, so that was fun. But aside from that, um, uh, speaking of books you all worked on, uh, Pirates of Pugmire is off to layouts. Mm -hmm. um, and so I've been chatting with uh, Mike and Rich a little bit about that. Uh, also, I'm working with uh, Josh Heath, who's writing the Stretch Goal Adventure, which slots in between the second and third adventures in the Pirates book. Because um, I realized that um, we had not really done much with Dalmatian Cove, so I actually have a whole adventure set just in Dalmatian Cove, so people have a chance to actually play with that material as well. Um, and then, yeah, uh, uh, Aberrant was the other kind of big thing I've worked on recently. Um, we had a lot of uh, really good feedback from the uh, the Kickstarter backers during our playtest phase. Um, we had over 250 comments. Um, some were redundant and some were things like typos and whatnot, but still, uh, there, we definitely saw some certain trends in the commentary. Um, uh, and that's one of the reasons why I personally like doing that kind of blind commentary as opposed to like say a forum thread. Is right. because being able to see eight people say, I have issues with this material and also all of them slightly different perspectives on what their issue was, gave me a more robust view of what the problem was than just one person going, I have a problem with this. Everyone going, yeah, me too. Um, or even not saying anything because somebody else already mentioned it. Um, so that, that was good. Um, and I, I mean, honestly, a lot of people really liked the book. Um, it was definitely along the lines of this is one of the more complicated books we've done in a while, um, particularly the most complicated book for Trinity. Uh, so getting a chance to actually get all that stuff nailed down, really think through some of the nuances, um, getting some feedback and playtest stuff on stuff. I, I think the book's going to be much stronger than it would have been otherwise. So I really do appreciate time and effort put into it. But we're going to take a couple of months to actually rewrite some sections of the book to make sure that it's the best it can be. Hmm. Well, I will look forward to seeing it. Uh, mm -hmm. I'm, I'm very excited to see Aberrant in its final version, I have to say. Aberrant and Pirates of Pugmire. Yeah, um, I think they're both going to be great books. Yeah, well, I am uh, I am very nearly done with Cults of the Blood Gods from a development perspective. As yes. of time of recording, it is back with White Wolf for its uh, secondary round of approvals. Take your time, White Wolf. I don't want it yet. Uh, <laughs> please, please send it back because I want it off my plate. Um, no. <laughs> but as I mentioned several episodes back, I've been recording a development diary for this book. And mm. I've been careful I'm not not releasing any information that is going to lead anyone to being disappointed or any NDAs being broken or anything like that. Uh, but, yeah, uh, once it comes back, I think we should be in a place where, unless we hold on to it until uh, we start getting art in, it might be fun to release that one. We'll see. We've probably got yeah. about an hour worth of footage for it nice. or recording of it. Cool. Mm. Look forward to hearing that. Because I know this was a, a challenging book in a few different ways. Yeah. Yeah, well, uh, I've mentioned on the Onyx Path News before, uh, which is on our YouTube channel right now, but will be starting on our Twitch channel, twitch.tv slash the Onyx Path, listeners. Do follow. Uh, that when you're dealing with a licensed property, and we will no doubt 
handle this in a separate episode at length at some point. There is the guarantee that the person who owns that license is going to want some say over what you create. That that's to be expected. It doesn't come as a shock. It's not insulting. Right. If you if you write some material and you send it off for approval, the reason you're sending it off for approval is so they have the right of refusal, so they have the right to suggest amendments. Sometimes you're going to agree with them, sometimes you're not. You can obviously debate that kind of thing, discuss that kind of thing, and I have. And the sometimes, especially when you're dealing with a license as complicated as Vampire, because there's a lot of different products coming out for it right now uh, across various mediums, we started writing this book at the beginning of the year. In that time, there have been pitches accepted and work started on video games, board games, card games, and all of them touch on some of the things that are in Cults of the Blood Gods. Mm-hmm. So it gets time to approval and by that point some of the information you've written is no longer necessarily accurate it might need subtle tweaks at night might need overhauls and it's not always fun for the developer to do that because it can require a lot of rewriting but it is a necessary step on the on the on the journey of dealing with a licensed property, so I, I've already had uh, that long conversation with with Karim at White Wolf, uh, who some of you listeners will know, and we've uh, we've made some adjustments, and yeah, now it's back with him to see whether he's happy with them. Yeah, I, I do. I do think actually um, it might be worth uh, us doing an episode about the. Uh, the, the nuances of working with a license, because um, both of you obviously are working on uh, uh, licensed books. Um, and also I've been on both sides of that, both working on licenses, also owning a license. So yeah, I think it may be worth spending like an episode talking about that stuff. Yeah. You've both fought the man and been the man. That ain't- it's true. <laughs> I, I didn't sell out, I bought in. Yeah. <laughs> are you quoting SLC Funk now on this, yes, I on this podcast? <laughs> all right, all right. <laughs> Uh, well, anyway, uh, we should probably get going because I imagine, just as a guess, that that interview probably ran around an hour in length. Also, but the bus is knows. leaving. The bus. Look, Matthew, the bus. It, it's the bus. Oh, it's gone. It's gone. <laughs> sorry, I'm, I'm stuck here with you two again. <laughs> I tried to get rid of him, Eddie. I'm sorry. Uh, yeah. Well, we'll in the again. meantime, if other people want to find you, Dixie, where do they look online? At DixieCochran.com or DixieCyanide on most social media. And what about you, Eddie? Um, you can find me at uh, pugsteady.com uh, or um, uh, my social media links are on that website. And you can find me on matthewdawkins.com. And I mentioned it just a minute ago, but please do follow us on Twitch, twitch.tv slash the Onyx Path. We have uh, f- some kind of uh, recording going up every sing- almost every <laughs> single day of the week. Yeah. Usually actual plays, some deep dives too. Couch Creation Month coming up in October. It's a very exciting time for our Twitch channel. We so also have follow. two Kickstarters running right now. Mm, um, there's yes. the Scarred Lands Creature Collection Kickstarter on the new Onyx Path Kickstarter account. And then on the regular Richard Thomas account that we usually use for our Kickstarters, we're doing Deviant the Renegades, which is a brand new core book for Chronicles of Darkness. It's a whole new game. It's one that we haven't ever done before, so it's not a second edition. Um, I'm super excited about it. I think it's very, very cool. And I would encourage you to check it out. Like most of our Kickstarters, if you back it for $5, you can see the manuscript and see if you want to actually get the book or not. Yeah, and we're going to try to get uh, Eric Sawatsky back on uh, the Pathcast, uh, get him, because he loves talking about Deviant. We want to get him to talk more about it and, and do a, a nice 
proper deep dive on Deviant the next week or so. Yeah. Yeah, he is the developer of it. So much mm-hmm. much like we interviewed Neil as his work overall, then also did a Scion deep dive kind of thing with him. Mm-hmm. Same thing with Eric. So expect more of those in the future. Mm-hmm. Well, with that said, many worlds, one path cast. <laughs>